So I am going to be speaking today on a character that actually moves my heart, possibly, arguably, more than any other character in the Scripture. Um, when we see some of the bad guys in the Bible, some of the antagonists in the Bible, some of the, the ones that fall, we don't always get their backstory so much. We don't always get to know really what precipitated and what, what led up to their fall. Uh, for instance, in our Torah portion for this week, we hear about Korah. And we know that Korah rebelled against Moses. But we don't really know much about Korah before that event. He's actually written way back in the book of Exodus as somebody who came out of Egypt. His name is written there. But we don't hear anything else about Korah until he rose up with others and rebelled against the leadership. So we don't really know what led up to that. Like, what caused Korah to feel that way? What caused, when did that little spark of suspicion and that little demonic spark of, of rebellion, when did it actually enter into him? We don't know. Uh, other characters that are more of the antagonists, I guess you would say, in the Bible, like maybe like Judas. Like we don't really know much about really what led Judas to, to despise Yeshua and turn him into the authorities. But there's a lot of narrative in the Bible about King Saul. He was, in my opinion, not a villain. He's human. We see his insecurities. We see the things that he struggled with. We see the thoughts he wrestled with. We, we see how he viewed himself. We see how circumstances kind of triggered those, those insecurities in him and pushed those buttons. And we see how tests came to him and he failed certain tests and how he kind of descended into evil behavior. It's actually a sad story. Because it can happen to any one of us. Saul had the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit. He had an amazing calling on his life, empowered by God with the Spirit. But he let feelings, he let his wounds, his hurts, however they got into him, but he let them overrule and overtake the promises of God in his life, the calling of God in his life. And he wound up aligning with a demonic spirit. And things kind of went south with him. So we're going to take a journey through the life of King Saul. Uh, the story of King Saul is actually in our Haftorah portion. For those who don't know what that is, um, Stephanie mentioned our Torah portion. So every week there's a little subset of the five books of Moses that's read in every synagogue, every Jewish synagogue all around the world. How did this come about? Well, it's a, it's a tradition that goes back thousands of years, but what happened was during the time when the Greeks took over and occupied the land of Israel, we see this in the story of Hanukkah, the Jews were not allowed to read the Torah. So the kings of the Greeks said, you're no longer allowed to read the Torah. So the Jewish people, as creative and resourceful as they are, they said, okay. So what they wound up doing is they get, went into the books of the prophets. They said, okay, we can't read the Torah. You didn't say we can't read the prophets. So they went into the books of the prophets, and they found scriptures that relate or in some way are connected or remind them of the Torah portion of that week. And they said, okay, we'll just read those. 
And that portion became known as the Haftorah portion, and it's with us to this day. So that's why we have in, in Jewish synagogues uh, a Torah portion, and also called the Haftorah portion, which is the prophetic reading from the books of the prophets that relate to the Torah portion. So all that to say this, the Haftorah portion for this week is the story of Saul. So it's worthy to, because we see an obvious connection. So it's worthy to speak about the story of Saul. Now, we see in the book of James, he says that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil de desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So we see this progression, right, of temptation or evil desires and how it can give birth to sin if we give in to it. And then how sin can lead to death. This entire progression, sadly, we see with this one man, Saul. We see right from the beginning to the end how he just fell into all of this. And it's again, it's important to all of us because, you know, we're all broken. And we come into the kingdom broken. And we, God calls us broken. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So we come in broken and we come in shattered. We come in broken. We come in with, with a family life that has left us with wounds and stains. We, we come in with situations and circumstances that leaves us with wounds and stains. And we, we come in with these feelings about ourselves that we just don't measure up. Or, or even some sins or addictions or whatever it is that we have. And here God calls us right then. There's a song that I love. It goes, he know, he, you know it, I know what I was this from God. I, I knew what I was getting into when I called you. Because he's inside of us. He said, I knew what I was getting into. I knew what I was getting into. So he calls us even in our broken state. But when we're in our broken state, once we're called, forget about it. He doesn't leave us in that state. And he brings us step by step towards dealing with and healing that brokenness that we came in with, little by little, step by step, our walk with the Lord is a walk of healing, progressive healing. Sometimes healing all in one shot, sometimes progressive. A lot of times, step by step and progressive. And that's the blessing of knowing God and knowing the Lord. He doesn't leave us in the same place. He found us. He found us as a wreck. Is there anybody here aside from me that was a wreck? When you were found, anybody still feel that they're a wreck? <laughs> it's a progress. It's a progress. So let's go through the journey of Saul, and uh, it's the, we'll start with his call. Better call Saul. All right. So Saul, it says, this is uh, about his history. He, his father's name, Kish, had a son whose name was Saul, a young and handsome man. So this guy had it all together physically. And there was not a more handsome man than that among the sons of Israel. Nobody's ever said that about me. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any other people. So he was, you know, the proverbial tall, dark, and handsome. Right? So he had the stature. He had the looks. But God doesn't look at that. He looks at the heart. That makes zero difference to God. Zero that he had that. But when Samuel, when he first found Samuel, do you remember what he was doing? Anybody remember what he was doing when he found Samuel? He was looking for donkeys. Everybody remember that? He was looking for donkeys. 
God will call us even if we're looking for donkeys. Like, this is when he calls us. We could be just doing the most mundane, ordinary things. The whole concept that he was searching for donkeys. And then the prophet found him and gave him this unbelievable calling that he's going to be king. Is incredible. That means that God can call us and find us whatever we're doing. You may think that your life is mundane. All of a sudden, you're out there searching for donkeys, and God knocks on your door, and you have a calling. So when he was in front of Samuel, the prophet, the seer, and Samuel said, you're going to be king. You're going to be king over Israel. He gave this very humble response. He said, am I not a Benjamite? Now, Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes. He said, the smallest of the tribes. My family's the least of all the families. In all the tribes. So he's in the smallest of the tribe. And his family in Benjamin is the smallest or the least of the families. This tells me that he didn't think very highly of himself. He had an inferiority complex. Now many people when we're called by the Lord, when they're called by the Lord, we have a humble response. Moses, like I can't do it. People have, and it's good to have a humble response. Like I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of this calling. I'm too small. I can't do it. That's okay. That's good. God can work with that. God can so work with that. But this was something that was a little bit of a vice to him. We even know that a little later, if I could fast forward, after he sinned, Samuel said, is it not true, though you were insignificant in your own eyes, that you became the head of the tribes of Israel? So he viewed himself as insignificant. This is quite a dichotomy. This guy was tall, dark, and handsome. He had the gravitas, you know? But he felt very small about himself. But that's okay at this point. If you have a humble heart, God doesn't care what you feel about yourself. Because he's got a calling. His calling for you has nothing to do with your view of yourself. Nothing to do with it. But if you are humble and you walk with him, he could bring healing to those things. So here comes Saul. All tall, dark, and handsome, but feeling really lowly with an inferiority complex. And he's called to the kingship. And he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. When they came there to the hill, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him that he prophesied among them. This is so much like us. God calls us when we feel very low about ourselves, when, we, when our life is really rough and just slams us and hits us. He calls us, and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And everything changes. Everything changes for us. Now we have the Spirit of God within us, a connection to God through his Holy Spirit. And Saul had that as well. But the people didn't get it. The people said, what's this that happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And that apparently became a proverb of the time. Saul among the prophets? Is Paula really a good teacher? Is Hadassah really anointed? Is Peter really a mayor? <laughs> Who's the greatest, Peter? People looked at Saul, I think I mentioned this, yeah, from Matthew, from uh, Yeshua, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown. 
What good thing can come out of Nazareth? Why did the people of Nazareth say that about Yeshua? Why didn't they see that he was the Mashiach? Because they couldn't see Yeshua the Mashiach because they knew Yeshua the kid that worked in his father's carpentry shop. Do you understand? He was too familiar. Like him? Him? This kid? We know him. We know his dad. He can't be the Mashiach. Nazareth? That dump of a town? And people looked at Saul that way. Now remember, Saul already had a bad opinion of himself. So now he's got other people questioning his anointing. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. People questioning your anointing. Questioning. I can't not. I can't do it. I think it's intentional that God brought this type of questioning and judgment from the people upon him. Why? Because God wants to heal him. And when we have brokenness within us, God will bring circumstance and situation into our lives to activate that thing, to trigger that thing, to trigger our brokenness. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he wants to heal us of this. And sometimes the only way to heal us of it is to expose us to these things until we don't care anymore. Until we say, what is man? Man cannot harm me. When God is for me, who can be against me? And he will bring things into our lives to trigger our insecurities, to trigger our brokenness, until we're not triggered no more. That's what he does. So I believe that this attitude, this tood that people gave Saul, <laughs> he can't be anointed, could have worked to his advantage if he was humble and brought up before the Lord. But we continue on. So now he's introduced to the people. So how can I, how can I do this in a way that would make sense? All right. So Lou is now going to be coronated as king. So come on up, Lou. This is what happened with Samuel. So go behind here, behind this. Ladies and gentlemen of Israel, I, Samuel, you have asked me for a king, and now today, in this hearing, I give you a king. You can do it now. Ladies and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I present to you King Luke. You can get up. Thank you, Lou. All right. That's what happened with Samuel. You can sit down. You're welcome. That ha that's what happened with Samuel and with Saul. It actually says that when he was up there to be introduced to the people, that he was hiding. And it says here, he's hiding himself among the baggage. The baggage. Do you know that you come into the kingdom with a little baggage? Mm-hmm, 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 How many people got some baggage? You know, sometimes you hear that when, when uh, two people come and get together and a uh, little, you know, they start dating or something, a little romantic. Well, just letting you know, I come into this with a little baggage. He was hiding among the baggage. God wants to pull you out from all that baggage. He doesn't care. 
he wants to heal you. Come on now. Thank you, Father. So Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? Stand up, Lou. I mean, we're talking tall, dark, and handsome. Right? Come on now. We are talking, we're talking with gravitas right here. But that's the attitude that Samuel had towards Saul. Because Samuel, I'll tell you, he had to learn that lesson. He had to learn the lesson, too, that it doesn't matter what your stature is. It doesn't matter your height or your musculature or your, if, you look, if you're going to look good on the Israeli dollar bill. The Israeli shekel bill. But this is the attitude. He brought it. He went to the people said, check, check out your king. Doesn't he look awesome? But Samuel is the one. Remember, when, if you could fast forward again, and he was searching for David, Samuel, Samuel didn't recognize David because he was still looking with his eyes, right? He was still looking at, like, who's stately here, right? He was looking at the attitude. He was looking at the externals. And it was the Lord that had to chastise Samuel. It was Samuel, the prophet, that the Lord had to chastise and say, God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I feel that the Lord wants to tell us that about ourselves. The Lord looks inside. He doesn't look at the externals. And I tell you right now that a lot of things that we struggle with is external stuff. The insecurities that we, that we deal with, that we have, these feelings we have, that's all external. God sees something much, much deeper in all of us. Much, much deeper. So now we see Saul, right? He was called even with his insecurities. He was given the Holy Spirit with his insecurities. He's presented and coronated before the people, even though he felt, you know, iffy about himself. But now all of a sudden, now he's got he's to oversee these battles, and he's got to take charge in some of these battles. And he has this great victory against the Ammonites, and all the people now are rallying around him. And all the people are like, you know what? Anybody that said that Saul can't be the guy, let's kill them. And Saul says, not a single person, it's a great line, not a single person shall be put to death, for the Lord has brought about a great victory. So we see Saul operating now in, in power. He's called and he's operating with the Spirit of God. He's doing great things. He's doing exploits. He's winning victories. But that little thing inside of him was still there. And we see it come out in a story. I don't have the whole story here in, in 1 Samuel 13, obviously. But what happened was there was a battle. I believe it was with the Philistines. And Samuel gave him some charge. Samuel said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to hold them off for seven days. And after seven days, I'm going to come. This is Samuel talking. I'm going to come, and I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And we're going to win. Steffi spoke about how Moses was on the mountain a little too long. And the people didn't want to wait no longer. And they took matters into their own hands. Same thing happened with Saul. He was told to wait seven days. For Samuel, and Samuel will do the sacrifice. Saul says, I've waited long enough. I'm going to do it all myself. And then Samuel came and said, what is going on? Why did you do this? And Saul said, since I saw that the people were scattering, and you didn't come at the appointed time, and that the Philistines were assembling at, at Michmash, so I worked up the courage and offered the burnt offering. Do you see what he did? What a twist. 
He was disobedient. He said, no, I wasn't disobedient. I worked up the courage. There's a couple lessons in this for us. It's hard to wait on God. Are we ever in difficult circumstances where we feel in every bit of ourselves that we need to do something? And the Lord says, wait, I got this. I got this. You don't need to fight this battle. Set yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, because the battle is not yours but God's. Yeah, but <laughs> I got to do something here, right? The Lord says no. And that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing to wait when we're in a battle, when we're in a circumstance where there's something coming against us, and we just want to go and do something, and the Lord says wait. Well, the Lord told him to wait, and he waited so long. But he didn't just repent. He self defended. I was being courageous and I offered the sacrifice, but God didn't see that, see it that way. He saw it as disobedience. Let me tell you something right now. If somebody comes again, if you have the spirit of self-defense, we spoke about this in our Havarab when we were talking about receiving correction. If you like have this thing that wells up in you like self-defense, like I'm gonna, I didn't do anything wrong. There's a good chance that's not of the Lord. Yeshua was meek and lowly, and he laid his life down. He was silent before his shearers. And it's every bit of our flesh that wants to defend ourselves and protect ourselves and justify our actions. Samuel, I was courageous. You didn't come on time. I did the sacrifice, and that was courageous of me. No. God told you to wait. So he was disobedient. The next time this happened... And I don't have the whole scripture. This was against the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were the enemies, like the arch nemesis enemies of Israel, right? These are the ones that back in the times of the Torah, when Israel was marching along, and all the sick and the feeble and the weak and the children were on the back of the line when they were all going together, the Amalekites attacked them, the weak. So God was very upset with the Amalekites. He said, I'm going to wipe them all out. And the time came for this to happen. And the charge came to Saul. It's time. Moses said all those years ago that we're going to wipe out all the Amalekites, and you're the guy that's going to do it, Saul. So it was time for him to do it. He was supposed to wipe out everybody, but he didn't do it. He kept the sheep. He kept the king. He didn't do it fully. And then here comes Samuel, very upset. He's like, where, where are all these and, and Saul And Saul goes, I did everything the Lord asked. I did it right. And Saul's like, well, where, why am I hearing all the sheep? Where, what's this bleating of sheep that I hear? And then... He said, and, and when, Saul, when Samuel's coming down, it, somebody came to him and said, Saul set up a monument for himself. So now we're seeing his insecurities about himself take a step in the wrong direction. He is compensating for his own inferiority complex by building up a little monument for himself. We're starting to see not a humble response to his feelings of being small. He's starting to self-elevate. This is a, a sad story of somebody with the Holy Spirit who just couldn't get ahead of his feelings about himself. He built a monument for himself. You know, God says in one place, he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this dose of pride got into Saul. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I violated the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people. And listen to their voice. Remember, Saul had a fear of man. He had a fear of what people thought of him. 
and he let that overrule the command of the Lord. Now, some of us may deal with a fear of man about what other people, or fear of people, what other people feel about us. Do they like us and things like that? And some of us may wrestle with that or struggle with that, but never let it overrule what God is telling you to do. Never let that be your driver. If you are concerned about people and what they feel and what they're saying, if the Lord's saying something else, you've got to listen to the Lord always. Don't let your internal struggles get in the way of being obedient to God. But Saul did. He let his feelings about himself and his concern about how he looked to the people, that drove him more than being obedient to God. This is the story where we get the famous words, I desire obedience more than sacrifice. Because Saul justified himself. Look at all these animals we can sacrifice to the Lord. It's God's like you could take those animals and shove it. I told you to do one thing and you didn't do it. So it's a sad story of, of Saul and his fall. From the call to the fall of Saul. And these are things I hope you relate, because I do, of the struggles that we can have and the feelings about ourselves that we can have. And just be encouraged, be encouraged that God wants to bring healing. Don't let these things overwhelm you. So they overwhelmed Saul. And what happened after that? And this is, we get another famous line from this. Samuel says that your rebellion is like witchcraft. And that your insubordination is, is idolatry. He makes these incredible connections, spiritual connections of his rebellion to the Lord and witchcraft. Now that's something we all need to take seriously with people that are in our authority, whether it's our bosses or whoever it is that's, that you feel is you're covering in your authority. Rebellion is witchcraft to God. Witchcraft. That's rough. That's rough, and insubordination is idolatry, and we see this actually manifesting for real with Saul a little bit later. So, he had his struggles, and he couldn't just be humble about it, bring it before the Lord. His struggles drove his actions even to the point of disobedience. He cared more about what people thought about him than what God thought about him. And he wanted to elevate himself more than he wanted to elevate God. And his brokenness led him down the wrong path. Don't let your brokenness lead you, lead you down the wrong path. It's okay to be broken. We're all broken. Just be humble. A broken and a contrite heart he will never despise. That's from King David. Remember, in every single person, we have a Saul and we have a David. Every single person. So, he willfully sinned and was disobedient to the Lord. And now the Lord brings him an evil spirit. Now, the spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, is there any part of this that kind of goes up you sideways in your theology about demonology? That it was from the Lord. So, what does this mean? What does this mean when an evil spirit or a demon can actually align with us and, and start to torment us? If we, first of all, Satan, the Hebrew word for Satan is he's the accuser. The accuser. He's up there constantly accusing us, you, accusing you and me constantly. 
Look at what they did. Look at what he did. Look at what she did. Look at what he did. Look at what she did. Look at what she did. Look at what she did. And the fact that if we don't have an evil spirit that's tormenting us, it's God's grace a thousand percent over and over again. Go away, Satan. They're covered by the blood of Yeshua. But if we continue to willfully, 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 willfully be disobedient to God and and operate in the flesh and just self-justify like Saul did, we can open up the possibility when Satan goes up to the throne room to God and says, look at your son, look at your daughter, and, you know, look how we messed up or she messed up. God might say, okay, you have a legal right now because of their sin and the repetitive sin. You have a legal right to mess with this person. But even then... God will give Satan boundaries. You can do this, and you can't go this far. And when I say you're done, you're done. This is spiritual reality. This is absolute spiritual reality. Because God has control over Satan. Satan is not as rogue as you may think. If, if Satan is not controlled by God, then God is not God. God can bring him back or bring him forth, whatever he wants to do. But the alignment with, the whole, with an evil spirit that Saul had here, the torment from an evil spirit, is because of his perpetual and repetitive sin and his pride and his boasting and his, his letting his brokenness rule his life and not the spirit of God. So Satan had a legal right to torment him. So that's what it means is from God. It means that God allowed it. God allowed it. So now he's got an evil spirit tormenting him. This is very similar to what we see with Paul, right? Like Paul wrote, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Very, very similar. Very, very similar. This is where it says, my grace is sufficient. Concerning this is Paul. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in my weakness. In other words, no, Paul, I am not having this demon leave you. My grace is sufficient for you. Pretty intense. Pretty intense. But he wants us to have a humble heart always. Life can be tough. Situations can be tough. The things we deal with can be tough. God's plans are so much greater for us. Just be humble and submit to what the Lord has. Submit to his correction. Submit to his lordship. And ultimately, things are going to be okay. So now we have... Saul's temptation. Now, enter David. So Samuel goes, finds David, the, the little shepherd guy with the red hair, and he's going to be the new king. And now we have the battle, the famous battle with Goliath, right? And all of a sudden, the people are rallying around David. And a song starts to, uh, starts to be made known in the land of Israel. And the lyrics of the song are, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. How would anybody like to have that song written about you? <laughs> that Elena killed her thousands, but Peter Wiggins his ten thousands. If it's Peter Wiggins, we're okay with it. But how about that person that you work with? That you got a certain review, and they got a certain review, and everybody's cheering that person, or so, or a raise, or whatever it is. <laughs> Thank you, Peter, for laughing. This is tough. I also believe 
that it was not too late for Saul. It might have been too late for him to be king because the Lord already said he's no longer going to be king. He got another person after his own heart. But it's certainly not too late for Saul to repent. It's certainly not too late for Saul to get right with God. And this is another time that God is allowing something to push his buttons. Because I tell you right now that as long as you still have buttons that can be pushed, God is going to bring things into your land, into your house, into your society, into your life that's going to push those buttons until those buttons break. That's what God's going to do. So here's Saul. He still has this thing within him, this still feeling of insecurity. There's still this feeling that he's small, that he's worthless. And now all of a sudden there's this little guy, David, who doesn't have the stature and the gravitas that Saul has. He's going to be king. And everybody's singing his praises far more than they're singing Saul's praises. This must have eaten him alive. Does anybody relate to this? You're supposed to relate to it. But just be humble. Just be humble. Just be humble. If you have a button to press, God will continue to press it. He'll find a way to do it until that button breaks. There was a sermon I gave several years ago. Do you remember the game Operation? You remember it? I thought it was way before your time, Carrie. So there was this little game Operation. Do you remember it? So, like, there was this, you know, patience that's on the table, and you had your little tweezers, and, you know, you have to pull out his lung or whatever, or pull out the, you know, whatever is, was in him, his little ailment. But if you touched him, it would buzz. That's like our buttons. You know what I mean? My coworker got the raise and I didn't get the raise. Buzz. That person spoke, you know, that person ignored me. Buzz. These are the buttons that we have. And God will continue to bring these things into our life until we're healed. This is his goodness. This is his healing us. This is actually kingdom living. Because he loves us too much to leave us in that way. So he wants to heal us of these things. And I believe, I really believe he wanted to heal Saul. I really believe it. Saul was called. He had his Holy Spirit. Now Saul descends into madness. All of this just went down a terrible direction. We see literally in the same chapter, the quotes I have are not in the same chapter, but there are other places where it is, where we see Paul literally trying to kill David. In the same chapter, he would say, I love you, David. Like, is that your voice, my son, David? And he's weeping. You know, I don't know if anybody, God forbid, has ever felt, had, was in a relationship with anybody who said, I love you, and tried to kill you in the same sentence, but that is evil and wicked, and this is where Saul descended into. I hope that through this talk, through this sermon, that you have a heart for Saul. See how a man that's called by God and just had some insecurities, let those insecurities get the best of him. And he wouldn't really repent. And it led into self-elevation, self-protection, and eventually pure sin and a murderous spirit. And then finally, at one point, remember when Samuel, all those years ago, said that his rebellion is like witchcraft? Now we see at the end of his life, he says it's a witch. To summon Samuel. 
It was literally one day after this happened that Saul died by suicide. So it's a tragic end to a hero. So what are the things that we need to learn about this? Just like we read from King Saul. I'm sorry, from Paul. (laughs) They have the same name. (laughs) That God's grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in our weakness. Don't ever forget that. We're weak. We still struggle. Whatever it is. Our views of ourselves, our views of things. We have jealousy. We may have anger. We may have fear. Remember that God's grace is sufficient. And that power is perfected in weakness. He can use you even still. He wants to use you. He will use you even still. Just be humble and don't be prideful about it. And don't be self-defensive. That's not of the Lord. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, some temptation doesn't always have to be temptation to take, like, the drink or the drug. The temptation could be to go into depression. The temptation to be, can go into anxiety. The temptation could be to go into hatred, self-hatred. The temptation could be many things. It could be to go into jealousy. But remember, when these things kind of knock at their door, just like God said to Cain all the way at the beginning, that sin is crouching at the door, but you can conquer this. Just remember, when these things happen, that it's not overtaking you where you have to indulge in it. He does provide a way out. So always remember that. And remember, in all these things, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. You're more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors. These things, these insecurities, they don't have to define you just like they defined King Saul. They don't have to define you. They might be there, but don't let them define you. And remember one thing. In every person, there is a Saul and there is a David. But there's a prophecy, an end times prophecy in Zechariah. The one, in that day, it says the one who is weak among them on, day will, on that day will be like David. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means David wins, Saul doesn't. That spirit of David, who's the spirit of Messiah, in you, wins. And that spirit of Saul, which is the, which is the flesh, it doesn't win in the end. In that day, Bayom Hahu, the one who is weak among them, will be like David. Bless the Lord. So I pray this was a blessing. And I pray that you related to this because I relate to it. And I relate to Saul. And there are things in Saul that I see in myself. And perhaps there are things in Saul that you see in yourself. And I pray that you recognize that it's okay to have these things. God calls you with them. He'll use you in power with them. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit with them. Just be humble about it. Don't let that be your identity. You too. In Yeshua's name. Amen.